Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe this message will encourage you as you grow your faith and your relationship with Jesus. Grab your notebook and a pen as we get right into the message. All right, well, we are on the final message today of a series that we're simply calling, Who's That? We're taking some time to process through the Holy Spirit and what role that he should play in our lives today. You see, it's easy to talk about God. We're all comfortable with talking about God. It's, it's easy to talk about Jesus. I mean, we celebrate him at Easter and Christmas every year. That's a given. It's pretty simple all across the United States. Whether they realize it or not, they celebrate Jesus twice a year. But when it comes to that other guy, the Holy Spirit, what do we do with him? Now, I hope that over the last few weeks that we've been able to peel back some layers of hesitation or peel back some confusion that you've had regarding the Holy Spirit. I, I hope and I trust that over the last four weeks, we've been able to really process through what role the Holy Spirit plays in our lives so that we have a clear understanding of who he is. As we wrap up this message this morning, I want to challenge you to really dive in deep. We sang a new song this morning and said, we won't stop until we encounter you, speaking of the Holy Spirit. That's my desire. You see, there are times in life that, that, that we see the Holy Spirit taken to a weird level. Not because the Holy Spirit's weird, but because we're weird, right? We, we tend to kind of do things in our own ability and, and take things out on our own path. And, and because of that, the Holy Spirit has really kind of gotten a bad rap, if you would. So my question is this. Is the Holy Spirit still relevant in our lives today or because of the chaos that we've seen, do we just push him to the side, cast him out, and pretend he never appeared? What, what do we do? I, I hope that today in this message, I can help us come to the place of realizing that there's purpose for the Holy Spirit. In fact, I've titled today's message, Purpose Versus Chaos. And I'm going to debunk some of those things today. Real quick, let me give a plug for next week. Next Sunday, we kick off a three-week series uh, where we're going to talk about the vision for 2024. We're going to look at the what, the why, and the how of the vision that God has given us for 2024. So some of the most important messages of the year are next week, the week after, the week after that. So I want to encourage you, Make your attendance here a priority over the next few weeks. If you're watching online, we would love to see you in person. We'd love to have you hanging out with us right here. So next week and the week after, the week after that, come on in. Come be a part. If you're not able to attend, at least log in and hang out with us. We were so grateful for you as well. 
I'm excited about next year. I'm excited about what God has coming down the pike for this church. I'm going to unveil some of that. I'm going to pull that curtain back a little bit uh, next week to help you kind of see where we're headed and what that looks like um, for us as a church. So again, be here next week. It's going to be super, super important that we're together. All right, let's get back to the Holy Spirit. I grew up in the Pentecostal circle. Um, friends that were in the Pentecostal circle. I saw all aspects. You know, if you tell somebody you're Pentecostal, you're going to get a a myriad of responses. Some people are going to say, what's that? I don't understand what that is. And then you try to explain it, and then they're confused. Um, But over the years, the sad reality is this. Pentecostals and, and charismatics have oftentimes been accused of just being a bunch of crazies that swing from the chandeliers in the church that just kind of run circles around the building. And perhaps every once in a while, you know, somebody will go to the middle of an aisle and they'll kick their shoes off and hairpins will be flying everywhere because this lady is just spinning in circles. We've all been there. We've all seen it. Yeah? Well, Paul, in the Bible, was experiencing um, some chaos in the church in Corinth. So he takes the time in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 to really kind of steer and guide some of the errors that he was seeing occur within the church. That's what I want to look at today. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. And this may tend to be a little bit more um, lecture style today just because of the nature of the message, Um, but just bear with me through that. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says this, For God is not a God of disorder. Come on, would you you say that with me? For God is not a God of disorder. That's all you need to read. But of peace. Now, does that mean that that we just come into church and that we kind of come into our spot and we sit down and, and we never say anything until we leave church and then we go about our days? No, 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 no. Because I believe that God has given us a myriad of personalities. Now, some people say, well, you know, when I come into church, you know, I don't get real rowdy. I really don't shout a lot or I don't, I don't sing out loud or I, I don't clap my hands. I don't raise my hand because that's just not my personality. Some of you can relate to that right now. But I would ask you, how do you respond at a Chiefs game? Right? Come on, come on. How do you respond at that concert that you went to two weeks ago? What what I'm I'm trying to get at here is if we're willing to get excited when someone makes a touchdown, if we're willing to get excited when our favorite player tackles another player, if we're willing to get excited when we're at a concert and that person walks out on the stage and they start singing our favorite song, then why aren't we willing to get excited when we enter into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? I I, I say that not to to shame. I, I say that not to criticize. 
But I say that to help us really begin to think. Are we limiting what God wants to do because we're more concerned about what somebody else will think? For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. So how do we successfully follow the Holy Spirit's leading without becoming a bunch of crazies that are more overwhelmed with the show than we are with the Spirit? We must follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit in all that we do. We've got to come to the place that we allow the Holy Spirit to be the one that guides. We walk by faith, not by sight. We, we live in the Spirit, therefore we walk in the Spirit. It's coming to the place of saying, Lord, I make myself available to you. Lord, if you want me to step out and talk to that person about you, if you want me to witness to them, God, I'm willing to do that, but I need you to give me the ability and the strength to do that. Lord, I, I want to praise you with all that's in me. Lord, I don't want to stifle what you're trying to do. But here's the problem. There have been abuses of the gifts of the Holy Spirit occurring in the church, and especially here in the church of Corinth, that Paul is talking about in the Bible. You see, there's two books in the Bible, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and they were written to the church in Corinth. Paul, um, the oversight here, is, is kind of speaking into their lives and kind of leading them and directing them. And there have been some abuse of the gifts of the Holy Spirit occurring. So he, he does his best to help steer and guide them. They were guilty of causing confusion in the church. They were allowing this newly received gift, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to cause pride to set in. Now remember, last week I shared with you that the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't make you superior to somebody else that's not filled with the Holy Spirit. It simply makes you superior to the person you used to be. Come on, trek with me this morning. Therefore, Paul begins to give some very clear correction that I believe not only applies to them, but applies to us as well. Why do I say that? Because I believe that every word in this Bible is applicable to our lives today. We, we can't become guilty of just picking and choosing. I say that all the time. And why do I say that all the time? Because I want us to get it. I want us to really let that sink in. We can't just kind of pick the parts that we like. We've got to dig into the parts that are difficult to chew on as well. And that's where we see this correction come into play. Um, in the book, Clear the Stage by Pastor Scott Wilson, he says this, the whole point of the spirit baptism isn't about us. It's about what God wants to do through us to have an impact 
on others. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, being consumed with the Holy Spirit, truth be told, has very little to do with you. But its purpose is so that you could be utilized to share the good news of Jesus. What did Acts 1-8 say? And you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, oftentimes, we stop right there. But if we keep reading, it says we receive power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of of the earth. In other words, you receive power to be a witness to those in your close proximity, those in your community, for us, those in our state and country, and ultimately around the world. God gives us an opportunity through the baptism of the Holy Spirit to have a newfound power you'll receive power, that word power is the word dunamis, the original word dunamis, where we get our word dynamite, explosive power. There's, there's power when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Well, we must remember that the Holy Spirit, this gift that the Holy Spirit wants to give us is simply that. It's a gift. And just because there were abuses in the book of Corinth, or the community of Corinth, just because there have been abuses in churches throughout the ages does not mean that we throw out the gift of the Holy Spirit, that we isolate the Holy Spirit himself or push him into the corner as some would have you believe. Yeah, we've seen the abuses. But Paul shares with us that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are offered to us. Look what it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from some other spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in an unknown language, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So today, what I want to do is I want to take just a few minutes and I want to look at three purposes of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now we're looking at purpose versus chaos. We've heard about the chaos. We've, we've built up walls because of chaos. We've searched social media and we've seen the chaos. There's even a guy out there right now that, that really kind of makes fun of the moving of the Holy Spirit in a lot of churches. And he wraps it up with other chaotic things that happen in the body of Christ. And he uses that under the umbrella of a God follower. But I want you to know, folks, the Holy Spirit wants to be active 
in our lives today. The Holy Spirit wants to move in each one of us, but it's our choice whether we're all in, whether we accept that and receive what he wants to do in our lives, or do we cast him to the side and continue on as we always have? I want to look at three purposes of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Number one is this, to encourage and strengthen the church. How many of you would agree there are moments and times that we all need encouraged, we all need strengthened? Yes? We need encouragement. We need strengthened. 1 Corinthians 14, 4 says, a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. Now, we'll talk about the difference between the personal prayer language and the edification of the church in just a few moments. But the person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks in a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. So let me pause for just a moment. Let me give you a little bit of clarity on a couple of things that I see happening in this chapter. Number one is, what is prophecy? What is prophecy? If I hear, man, that person's a prophet, that's like, whoa, that's that's out there, that's a lie. But prophet, what is prophecy? Prophecy in the New Testament was not foretelling the future, nor was it like a modern-day preacher today. Prophecy in the New Testament was sharing a word given by God through the Holy Spirit, which is now communicated to the church. Again, so it's a word that God has given. The Holy Spirit processes that through us and is given to the church. Why? To encourage and strengthen the church. Number two, Paul was not anti-speaking in tongues. Understand this. He over and over and over tells us, spoke about the importance of the use of this prayer language. But in this particular moment, he's attempting to help us understand the importance of edifying and encouraging one another. He realized that the church was at a place in Corinth where they needed encouragement. There was chaos. There was confusion going on. They were drifting away. They were, they were moving in the wrong direction, and they needed the encouragement. They needed the spiritual strength that the Holy Spirit had to offer. Now, tongues is the prayer language edifying the one speaking, while prophecy is to build up the one that is listening. The emphasis that Paul is trying to make, it's not that one element was more important than the other, but instead what he was trying to get across is that prophecy was more impactful for the masses than the use of tongues. Warren Wearsby, a theologian, once said this, The believer who speaks in a tongue speaks to God in praise and worship. But the believer who prophesies shares the word with the church and helps those who listen. Both of these, the use of tongues and the use of prophecy, both are vitally important in our journey with Jesus. 
We need that prayer language. We need that time when we're allowing the Holy Spirit to pray through us as we intercede. The Bible says when there are moments and times when we don't know what to pray, we don't know what to do, the Holy Spirit prays on our account with words that we don't understand. We need that prayer language. We need that time of communication with God. But I, like Paul, highly encourage you to seek God for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I believe today, more than ever, we need that power that he brings to the table. I don't think that we can function with just two-thirds of who God is. Come on. God the Father got the Son, got the Holy Spirit. The three in one, but for some reason we try to cause this separation and move the Holy Spirit to the side. The problem with the Corinthian church was they had drifted away and drifted into this moment of emphasizing themselves rather than others. Boy, that sounds a lot like our culture, doesn't it? It's all about you. It's all about self. What can I get out of this? If someone says, hey, let's make a deal, what are you going to try to do? You're going to try to get the best deal for yourself. You know, It's all about what can I get out of this moment? What's in this for me? And because of that, they had abused the gifts of tongues in public worship and were emphasizing this one gift at the expense of the other. Now, this led to exercising the use of tongues without interpretation in the church. Paul pro proceeds to correct this abuse by pointing out how unprofitable that was, tongues without interpretation. So he tells them, and hold on, we're going to get there, because some of you that grew up in the Pentecostal church were like, what's he saying? Hold on, we're going to get there in a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, no more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. So Paul takes the time to give a little bit of order to what's happening. Again, God is not a God of chaos, but a God of peace. God's not going to bring disorder in the moment, but God's going to lead us. God's going to steer us into the proper use of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. So Paul lays this out. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in the church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Paul says speaking in tongues has value for the individual, but in the public meeting, our concern must be the value of the whole. But he also says, I wish every one of you would pray in this unknown language. So is there a discrepancy in what Paul is trying to say? In one moment, he says, you know, there's got to be an interpreter and, and don't just pray in your prayer language and cause confusion, yet over here he says, I wish every one of you had this prayer language and were filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand something. There are two purposes, two purposes to this unknown tongue, this unknown 
language. There's the private prayer language. There's that moment when you're interceding to God and you're praying and you're just allowing God to pour out his spirit and you're communicating with him. You're one in the spirit in that moment. You're just calling out to God. That's your private prayer language. And then there's the use of tongues, this unknown language with interpretation. And the interpretation helps everyone to understand what God is trying to speak to the church. So as Paul is saying, there should never be a moment, never, ever, ever in a moment when you walk into the church that you pray in your private prayer language. No. No, you see, it's okay. There are many, many times when I'm down here in worship and I'm praying, I'm praying in that, in that prayer language. There are moments even if I'm up here and we're in transition and, and I'm praying in that prayer language. But I'm very careful not to cause confusion in the church. We've got to understand the purpose in that moment. This prayer language, this is your private time with God, but the message in tongues followed by interpretation, that's that moment that God begins to speak to the body to encourage, to strengthen the church. So look at our second purpose. Our second is this, to understand the action and response. The action and response. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 9 says, So if you speak in a way no one can understand, what's the point of opening your mouth? Right? That makes sense, right? If I got up here and, and suddenly I began to speak, if I could, speak in French, some of you in the room might figure out what I'm saying. Others of you will be like, I got nothing. I don't know what he's saying. It's not making any sense to me. If I were just to speak in, 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 a, in a human language, French or Spanish, more of you would probably get Spanish. And here's the problem. In Spanish, I only know a few words, the important ones. Baño. Agua purificata. Buenos dias, buenos no. Those are important words, right? I can get by with those. But if I could speak in Spanish, many of you would not have a clue what I was saying. So Paul says, if you speak when no one can understand, what's the point of opening your mouth? And then in verse 16 and 17, he says, For if you praise God only in the Spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join in? you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you were saying. You will be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. Twelve times in this section of Scripture, Paul uses the word understand or understanding. Now, if the Word of God is not received or even understood by people... Here's the problem. It becomes lost information. We miss the opportunity to apply what God is trying to speak into our lives. But then I realize this also. This idea of understanding is a two-way street. One, it causes the individual that's sharing the information, they've got to be willing to do and to speak as God is telling them to do so, to share that word of gospel or that encouragement with the body. But secondly, the hearer has to be willing to receive the word that is given. Over and over and over in the Bible, the Bible says this, 
Let he who has an ear, let him hear. In other words, if we have the capability to receive the audible wavelengths that are going across the room, we should receive that information. We should allow that information to be settled in our spirit. But how often are we guilty of just letting the Word of God slip in one ear and out the other and never really allowing it to impact our lives, never allowing it to create a change? And here's what I've discovered. Words without action are meaningless. Words without action are meaningless. Actions without purpose are confusing. The truth of the matter is this, not everyone that listens really hears. James chapter 1 reminds us that we aren't just to be hearers of the word of God, but we are to be doers of the word of God. In other words, we've got to allow what God is speaking into our lives, allow it to be translated into action that motivates us and moves us in a new direction, bringing about change in the world around us. But the problem is this, too many of us believers, we step outside of these walls and suddenly we become secret agents. Nobody would know that we're a Christian if we didn't say. We hide it deep within. We don't want anybody to see that name tag that we're wearing. So we we hide it way back in the back and we mask ourselves and we just go about our day and not making any ruffles in the world around us. But the Bible says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why? To be witnesses. Why is it important to be a witness? Because there are people outside of these walls that are dying every single day and splitting the gates of hell wide open. I don't know about you, but I'm not okay with that. My mission in life is to populate heaven. My mission in life is to tell as many people as I can about the good news of Jesus Christ. My mission in life is to make an impact for the kingdom of God. So I'm not about to settle back. I'm not about about to be silent and push the Holy Spirit in the corner. I need the Holy Spirit today more than ever before. We've got to understand that there's action. And there's purpose for the moving of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 39 says this, So my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues. But be sure that everything is done properly and in order. Order versus chaos. We've got to understand that God is a God of order. God will not ever bring about chaos in our lives. We should be aware of the surroundings. We should be aware of of what impact our speaking in this unknown language will have. I'll tell you, there have been moments when I'm together with other pastors of other denominations, and we're in a prayer group together. I'm aware of my surroundings. 
I'm not in that moment going to pray audibly in this unknown language and cause chaos in the moment. But I discern that timing. I discern what God is wanting to do. And I allow God to use me, to lead me, and to guide me. Why? Because I want the moving of the Spirit in my life to be a blessing to those around me, not to cause chaos and confusion. In verse 15, Paul refers to his own experience in tongues. He says, I pray in the Spirit, I sing in the Spirit. Paul is speaking of his own private use of this prayer language given by the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 and 19, it says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. But in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. This tells me that Paul used this prayer language and his private devotion more than he did in a public worship setting. So look at our third purpose. Our first purpose is to encourage and strengthen others. Our second is to understand the action and response. Number three, to simply refrain from confusion. Simply refrain from confusion. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, he says, but be sure that everything, say everything, be sure that everything is done properly and in order. Now again, does that mean that we just stand on the sideline silent like this? Now I'm telling you what, when we're in the middle of a worship time on a Sunday morning, those of you that sit right over here close to me, I'm so sorry. I get a little rowdy. I'm going to walk all, and there's, it's a wonder there's not like a, a trench in this floor, because I walk that floor, and I clap, and I shout, come on, and I get excited. Why? Because I love the presence of God. I love to worship Him. I love to spend time with the Spirit. I love to allow the Spirit to flow in and through my life. But I understand that there's moments I've got to refrain from confusion. Be sure that everything is done properly and in order. Now, as a church and as Christians, we should never purposely allow what we do to cause confusion. That was the problem in the early church. So Paul begins to give them a basic order of service. Why does he do this? Because the confusion was taking them away from what God wanted to do. Let's look at a few of these things. One is order and balance. He says, no more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. In a public meeting, those who speak in tongues with interpretation must be done in an orderly fashion. Avoid confusion. One at a time. Now, let me give you a little clarity. It is permissible, I said it a moment ago, to pray in the Spirit, to pray in this unknown language privately as long as it's not causing confusion. Number two, order and truth. Let two or three people prophesy and let others evaluate what they said. All speaking 
must be evaluated by the Word of God. Now listen carefully. I even allow you to do that with my message on a Sunday morning. That's why I give you an outline. That's why it has the scriptures. Now there are going to be extra scriptures that, that aren't there because they're not in my notes. They just kind of come out as I'm preaching. But the primary scriptures are going to be right there. I'm going to tell you what translation we're using. I want you to take this information, and I want you to make sure that everything you're being taught lines up with the Word of God. Evaluate what is being said. Why? Why? Why is it important to evaluate? Because Satan would like nothing more to take the good intentions of an individual and to bring about confusion Maybe they were in the midst of being just overwhelmed with the presence of God, personal emotion, and they begin to speak out on their own account. So what do we have to do? We have to evaluate what's being said. The third is this, order and timing. Remember, the Bible says in verse 32, that people who prophesy are in control. Say in control. In control of the Spirit and can take turns. I've heard people say, oh, pastor, I just can't control it. When the Spirit's moving, I just can't control it. Well, the Bible says otherwise. We can control our emotions. We want to make sure that what's being done is in God's timing. Paul addresses women particularly I'm not going to spend a whole long time on this. But some use this scripture to say, well, women shouldn't speak in church because Paul addresses the women. Apparently the women were asking questions of their husbands. Some say that the women were on the opposite side of the room and they were kind of shouting, hey, what did he mean by that? What do I do in this? So it was causing disorder. I truly believe that if the men were the one yelling across the room or if the kids were the one yelling across the room, Paul would have said, listen up, be quiet. Why? Because they were causing confusion in the moment. I don't think it had necessarily to do with the fact that they were women. It was just causing confusion. Now, when it comes to timing we believe as a church that everything that is said needs to be vetted now on wednesday nights this happens more than than on a sunday morning here at encounter but if a person ever has you know that something the spirit settles in their spirit and they just really feel like something needs to be said to the congregation on a wednesday night a person simply comes to me and they say hey i feel like god is is saying that this 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 and they share it with me. And in that moment, my responsibility as your pastor, my responsibility as the shepherd of this congregation is to vet that and allow the Holy Spirit to help me discern whether that should be shared or not be shared. And in that moment, if it's that time, I'll say, go ahead and speak. Or I'll say, give me, hey, give us like two minutes here. Hold tight. We're not quite there. And we'll wait for that moment, allowing the guidance of the Holy Spirit to take charge. The same goes on a Sunday morning. If a person has a word they feel is for the church, they would simply come to myself or one of the pastors on the front row, have a conversation, and in that moment, we will vet whether we believe God is calling us to share that. Well, pastor, why is it your responsibility? Because 
We're the pastor that God has placed in this position. Okay? There's got to be a lead. There's got to be a shepherd. There's got to be somebody to kind of lead what's happening. So in this moment, at this time, God has placed myself and our leadership team to do that. Okay? Why? Because I'm responsible to God for what happens in this room. Okay? I'm not saying this as an egotistical thing. I'm saying it like, pray for me. I'm responsible to God for what happens up here. I believe that one day I'll have an account that I'll have to share of what happened. I want God to look at me and say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Because it's not about us. It's about giving him honor, giving him glory, and making sure that everything is done according to his plan and his purpose. So as I wrap up today, I want to leave you with one challenging scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says, go after a life of love as if your life depended on it. Because it does. Give yourself to the gifts God gives you. Most of all, try to proclaim his truth. In other words, discover, develop, and use the gifts that God has blessed you with. So I ask you today, are you all in? Are you ready to say, Lord, whatever you have, Lord, whatever you want to do, Lord, I make myself available to you. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to you.